Join Rabbi Dr. Reb Mimi Feigelson as she blends stories, teachings, and spiritual direction, inspiring us to inscribe ourselves in the book of life and living. One of the world's most vibrant teachers of Hasidut, this podcast celebrates the life and teaching of Reb Mimi, an essential link in the chain of the Hasidic rabbis who preceded her. What I want us to, look, to start with is actually we're going to look at the Tomo Dvora, teaching of Moshe Cordovero. And the reason that I chose this is for multiple reasons. Number one is I think it's really important to, when learning Hasidic sources, to know what fed them, what their library looked like, what were they learning, what informed them, right? What did Reb Levi, it's like before there was a Kedushat Levi, because I'm sure, right? Like then he learned the Kedushat Levi. But before that, the Maori Naim, especially the early Rebbe's, what informed them? What was their spiritual vocabulary that they, they, they came with? I think that's really very crucial. Especially uh, learning the Ramak, um, I want to say on two levels. One is, and I'll say a word or two about the Rebbe Moshe It's the kind of person that you wish that you were actually them for a moment. Um, I think more than that would be way too overwhelming. But Rav Moshe Kodover is very crucial in terms of the constitution of Hasidic thought, specifically when thinking about um, the whole notion of tzimtzum, of contraction. And one of the things that designates a, a clear distinction between the world of Kabbalah and the world of Hasidut is where in the world of Kabbalah, tzimtzum, contraction, or I want to say, even before that, shvirat kelim, the shattering of the vessels in Kabbalah, is a catastrophe. Right? The vessels could not contain the light, and they shattered. So therefore, creation is a catastrophe. And we are trying to live our lives, trying to redeem that catastrophe. I have to tell you, that's really psychologically and spiritually such a healthy place to be. Like to know that from the first moment you are a catastrophe and you're trying to redeem a catastrophe. Not pretty, I have to say, not pretty. Um, so that's number one. The other is, but in the Hasidic tradition, it was actually the way that God revealed God's self. So that's not a Bediyevit situation. Uh, there's not a, an aftermath of a catastrophe. That's actually the chatchila. It's actually from the outset. Like God, need, God at some point decided, needed, aspired to reveal God's self. So, shvirat kelim, the shattering of the vessels is actually a way for God to reveal God's self. And that's not a catastrophe. That's actually a desirable moment. With that, trying to understand how God contracted himself, and therefore the notion of tzimtzum, Contraction, and we when people hear the word tzimtzum, contraction, they think immediately of the Ari, because there's this formula that we have in our Kabbalistic mind of shvirat kelim, of the breaking of the vessels, of tzimtzum, of contraction, and they are aligned with halat nitzotzot, the elevating of the divine sparks. That in our mind, that's a vocabulary that the Ari actually created. But it's important to remember that actually the Ari was a student of Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, the writer of Tomer Dvorah. 
And really, they have a very different understanding of Tzimtzum. And you'll see within, when you're learning Chasidut, you will see that different Rebbes will use the phrase differently. So did God contract God's self into God's self until God materialized? Or did God create a space where God was not? And in that space where God was not, God created the world. Okay, now I just want to say for a moment what that means, and maybe God willing and, um, and sure Kali will address this. Um, because really, one concept talks about, if you say that God contracted himself in God's self into God's self until God materialized, then you're talking about moving from a complete ethereal reality until a very concrete manifestation. But there's a continuum, <coughs> which means that God was never not present. Every digression is more corporeal, less supernal, but nonetheless, God is present. Great. Well, that means that we're never in a situation where God was not. If you say God contracted God's self into God's self, and then there was a vacant space, a halal panui, where God created the world, then you're saying that for a moment there was a space where God was not. And into that space, God created a world. So, for example, if you ask me, everyone talks about Rabbi Nachman's Sodat Simtsum. It's a very known, his teaching in the Kutem Moran 64, Samech Daled, Ba'el Paro, talk about Simtsum. I believe that Rabbi Nachman, there, for example, like he holds by the second opinion of Simtsum. Now, what that means is that your existential reality is actually first a reality of absence. And into that, you're trying to create a reality of presence. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like to do uh, a shiokhali that we'll be able to learn. And the way I think about it is our relationship with God. Is it alienation or infatuation? Right? I want to say infatuation is the first. Because like, you have no reality where God isn't. And the alienation is the second because your primary emotion or feeling is God isn't and now I need to figure out how <coughs> to do this. I remember learning from Ibn that he said that the problem of eating of Adam and Chava eating from the tree of knowledge wasn't that they ate from it. It was a question of when they ate from it. Meaning to say that had they ate from it on Shabbat so their consciousness of duality would come within a context of unity. And then our challenge would be, how do you, expect, how do you experience duality? Because all you know is oneness. We now, because they ate from the tree before Shabbat, we're going through our lives trying to create unity from, uh, from a consciousness of duality. We're always in the struggle of body and spirit. We're always in this constellation of otherness because really that was our primary experience. Now we go into Shabbat and now we're trying to understand and try to em trying to emote oneness. So it's a question like what is the background? What is the foreground? What is our primary memory that we carry with us? So that's why it's really, I feel, important to really ask ourselves to go back to some of the earlier sources to understand, like, what fed the Rebbe's, and which Rebbe's were fed by, by which concept, and like, that, then, but that also defines everything 
about how we walk in our relationship with God. And what is our feeling and our sense and our emotion and our relationship to God and to the world? Right? Is the world a manifestation of God or is the world what stands between us and God? Whoa. That's core in terms of how we live our lives. Do I look outside and say, this is God's manifestation, God is this amazing artist? Or is like, trees just get out of my way because you are physical, material, corporeal, and like you don't allow my physical, like, and you limit me to my physical eyes. How do we look at people? How do we look at ourselves? How do we treat our body? These are all questions that stem, stem from, this, from here. So therefore, I think really crucial to learn to learn, I want to say, teachings of earlier mystics, and definitely the ones that fed, specifically, directly fed the Hasidic Rebbes. And the other is, specifically, I didn't choose Pogdesli Muni. I didn't choose one of his um, theoretical mystical writings, but Tormod Vora, which is really what we call Sifrut Musar Kabbali. So it's, it's the only kind of Musar that I do. <laughs> it's true. Why? Okay, like this is going on record. I'm not, and some of you know this already, not a major fan of Musar. It's like I say to myself, do I need to open a book to find out why I'm a, why I'm a jerk? <laughs> Like, do I need someone else to tell me about my shortcomings? It's like, hey, I don't know about you, but I look in the mirror every morning. I know what the shortcomings are. I don't need someone else to tell me where I'm flawed, where I'm just not making it, where I'm just not, you know, where I'm cutting edges, where I, you know, where I could be kinder, or like, oh my God, like this week is heaven for so many people in my life. Why? Because all the people that I haven't answered emails to, like, this is it. Like, my tshuva. <laughs> Which I, you know, I don't think it's a. It's, I think it's a, a word to chew over because I'm not, you know. You're supposed to laugh there. Chew, but chew. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't vocalize exactly how to. Okay. Right? It's like my chuva is sitting in front of uh, sitting in front of my my computer and answering emails all the people that I haven't answered in weeks and in months and like really need answers and like that's like a big deal. <laughs> So, I don't need a book to tell me how bad I am, right? I don't need a diagnosis. I live it. But, when it comes to Musa that's based on Kabbalah, it gives me a way of actually living in the world. It gives me a way of constructing my vision and my image of life and of relationships with people, with God. So that's not a sur mirah, that's an asetov. <laughs> Right? That's a Musa that tells me what, I, what to do and how to be. Not a Musa that tells me what I'm not and where I've transgressed. So those are all of the reasons why we're sitting here today. Right? And that's why I want to say, Chuva for me isn't about looking to the past, it's about looking to the future. It's about not who I was yesterday, it's about who I want to be tomorrow. That's the truth of it. So if we're having a conversation and you want to repeat yourself over and over in terms of like, again, like how flawed and how low and how impossible and how failing, well, so not interesting. Do you want to talk about where you'd like to be in a year from now? What you want tomorrow to look like? I'm happy to have that conversation. That's the truth.
So we're going to start our learning with the, with the beginning of Tomil Dvora, which deals with the 13 attributes of compassion and ways that we can emulate those 13 attributes of compassion. Okay, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, he was born in 1522. We don't know exactly where. His mother remembers. We don't know. Um, he left the world in Sfat in 1570. Okay, so I just want you to know, like, who's hanging out in Sfat at that time? Okay. He learned... He learned with Rabbi Yosef Karo. Not bad. Um, his smicha was from Rabbi, uh, from Rabbi Yosef Karo and, and the Beirav, Rabbi Yaakov Beirav. Um, and, um, and, 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 oh, I'm forgetting his name and he's going to hate me forever. Forgive me. But him too. Okay? Not bad. His, he was the brother-in-law of the Alkabet, the Chadudi. Okay, so like, just to want you to know, like, who are the voices that he hears, and who are the people that he's been learning with, and what does the Shabbat table look like? You know, that's why I said I'd like to take a visit into his being for you know twenty seconds. I think after that I kind of like blow up or something, <laughs> right? But this is this is Sfat. When think about that Sfat, so if you want to come in touch with that Sfat, like this is our opportunity, because this is who is like his students, Rabbi Chaim Vital. We wouldn't know of the Ari if it wasn't for Rabbi Chaim Vital. We wouldn't be able to learn the Ari. We'd know of the Ari, but we wouldn't be able to learn the Ari without his student, Rabbi Chaim Vital, who was first a student of the Ramak, Rav Moshe Cordovera. So I just want you to kind of close your eyes and, and, and connect yourself to like, all the greatness of our tradition. The Bet Yosef, the Shulchan Aruch, Kabbalah Ta'ari, and what they bring with them has really, uh, uh, I want to say, a nexus in time between past and future. So that's the hub we're going, we're, we're going to be sitting in. Okay. I brought on this first page, you can see the, the contents of Tomad Vorah and the psukim that he's going to be aligning himself with. We are going to do, God willing, Perek Rishon. I also want to say timely that there is a tradition by, of some to actually learn Tomer Dvora during Aserti Mechuva. So there are a lot of tens in our tradition that people align themselves with. So for example, um, the ten Sirot. So there are people that will learn Tomer Dvora during Aserti Mechuva. Um, the ten chapters of Hilchot Shuvah of the Rambam. Again, one chapter per day. So I'm putting those possibilities and options out there. Perek Rishon. And as you can see, the title, I want to look through the titles just for a moment. Perek Rishon is Ha'adam Ra'ui Shi'it Dameh Lekonno. A person is, it is appropriate, Ra'ui, I want to talk about that word, Ra'ui, that's the opening words, right? <clears throat> appropriate, fitting, that they should align themselves with their Creator. And then you'll see, uh, second chapter deals with Ketel, with a divine crown, and then we'll progress through the different Sfirot until the last chapter, as you can see, is He'achit Kasher Ha'adam How do we bind ourselves in holiness? Okay, so you have ten chapters. As I said, some people will go through these ten chapters. It is worthy, it is fitting, 
that a person should align themselves with their creator. So I want to say it's not to be. We can't be. <coughs> but to be in the likeness of. When we talk about Selim and Dumut, right? That's what we're talking about. The likeness of. If you're looking for a mantra for this week, you've got four words. It is worthy, it is fitting. And that's really a question like I want to ask ourselves when we look at ourselves and we the way and when we treat ourselves the way we treat ourselves. Is that fitting? Right? Is that is that the way you want to treat you would treat another human being? What are the criteria in which we treat people? And then ourselves. So what we treat other people better than we treat ourselves? That's the challenge here. So, and, there, and I want to I wanna say something as if I haven't said enough blasphemous in the last 19 minutes and 27 seconds. But, Tzalem Elohim, guys, the way people throw it out into the world, I want it to stop. Because I want to think about what that really means. And I want us to embrace it for ourselves. Just for a moment. If only for a moment. Right? I think when people say everyone was created in Salem Elohim, the irony is that they have just erased the uniqueness of individuals. Right? We all have Salem Elohim. So now we're like, what? We're a species. But the uniqueness of individuals are that they are actually unique. Now, I know there are dog lovers around the table that are going to say every me, but that's true about dogs and cats. Okay, I am dog and cat challenged. I will not do evil, but I won't share my dinner with them. That's the deal. So Tselem Elohim, right? This is what it's about. It's about greatness. It's not about obliviating the uniqueness of an individual is about lifting them up. And I feel that Selim Elohim, the way it's used, or the way it's thrown around, is like the lowest common denominator of human beings, the equalizer. But in so many ways, it actually means that we stop seeing the uniqueness of the individuals that we're talking to. So I just want to, I'm saying, don't erase it. It's a good word. It gets people to do a lot of good things in the world. But nonetheless, what do you mean when you actually, when you actually say it? So here, I think he's already, he's already talking about our higher self. Right? Rabbi Shneur Zalman talks about, and you see I'll quote the Chazrik of this all the time, so don't worry. Um, he talks about, Kitzad Maragadim Lifnea Kala. How do we, now we translate as how do you dance in the presence of the kala? But he wants to say that the word lifnei actually is what lifts one up. It's like me'av, it's above. Like what comes before. Not before horizontally, but vertically. And shift happens by not being locked into what's in front of us, but rather connecting ourselves to what's above us. So therefore, the highest thing that you can say to a person is actually, you are. Like, what's fitting for you? 
is to mirror God's presence in the world. Right? And I've shared this story in the past, and I've you know, gotten flack about it. But nonetheless, I will share it. My friend, um, I'll never forget this, Amuna, her kids now, at the time they were five and six, and now they're in their 20s and their parents themselves, right? But I remember they were fighting over whatever. Boys, five and six-year-olds, excuse me, they weren't even five and six. What am I talking about? They were, I think they were, they were four and five, right? They were four and five-year-olds. And what did she say to them? She said, she says, boys, stop fighting, have compassion on me. Whoa. Now, I got flack because someone told me, okay, she's starting a little bit early with Jewish guilt. But what I heard was the opposite. What I heard was, you know what, as a four and five-year-old, as boys, four and five-year-olds, as anyone four and five-year-old, like you have every right in the world to fight. On whatever it is they were fighting, a toy or whatever it was, you have every right to fight. But have compassion on me was the way in which he lifted both of them outside of themselves. Right? You have every right to fight, but I want to hold you in a higher place. I want to open you up to not being locked into the horizontal relationship between the two of you. And I want to take you out of yourselves and lift you higher. Have compassion. And as you can see, never, never, never forgot that. And I'm sure for the rest of the world, it's just kind of like, they don't remember it. But it's with me for life. So, ra'oui ha'adam, ra'oui shi'idamelekunu. It's looking at each other and saying, right, that's the highest self. Your highest self is God's image, walking God's ways. Ve'az, and when we align ourselves in such a way, yiyeh besod ha'tzurah elyona tselem udmut. And when we can do that, that is when we connect ourselves. I want to say that's our true Selim Elohim, our higher common denominator, not our lowest common denominators as a species. Right? Imagine it's like our, our higher common denominator of actually being the person we aspire to be. Right? And what would it look like as a community to see each other in that eye? Right? Not to see each other as we are. Right? Some days better than others. Some days kinder than others. Some days more passionate than others. Or something more, you know, compassionate or patient. Whatever it is. But what would it look like as a community to be able to look at each other and see each other in our higher, our higher image? Right? Who we can be. Now, I want to tell you there's a danger in that. And that's also, I'm going to put that on the table for a moment. And that is, you can walk around being really annoyed at people a lot. Because you see their greatness, and they're not there. So I want to say that's the danger of it. Right? <laughs> that he's like, oh my god, like, I know what you're capable of. Like, why? Why are you doing this? I know you can, I see it in you. So that's going to be our challenge as teachers, as rabbis, as friends, as colleagues, right? how to hold each other in that greatness and at the same time allow, our, allow each other to at times be in that place. Right? I have a soul sister, uh, Uti, in Yerushalayim. 
she was always called Little Ruti, and we were Matt and Jeff together, and like, physically she's about a, a quarter of my size, and it's cute. Um, <laughs> and my whole family, everyone calls her Little Ruti, and that's the way it is. And, and she's good with that. So one of the gifts of our friendship was, <laughs> she would come visit me when I was working in economics at Hebrew, and um, she'd come visit me during the day in my office, and I'd be in whatever space I was, uh, right? And I'd sit there and I'd moan and groan and complain and, you know, be, you know, and bitch. Um, and after about a half an hour of that, right, she would say to me, <laughs> she'd say, Mimi, you know, you're really tired. Like, I think you really need a nap. Just, like, go home and take a nap. Right? Now, on the one hand, she didn't say that when she walked in and after the first 20 seconds, you're like, okay. She let me go through what I needed to go through. <laughs> and then she said, you know, it's really not, a, it, the truth of the matter is, like these things right now that you think are just like driving you crazy and like are making you miserable, the truth of the matter is, like really? Like really not. <clears throat> like if you just go to sleep for an hour, <laughs> you'll be okay. And I'm thinking like, and I loved her for it because they were like, you know, anyone else would have listened would have thought, oh my God, this is really bad, this is really terrible, and like what's gonna be, and like I feel so bad for you, and try to fix it and make it better, and like, and like she's like, no. Nothing is broken. Everything is fine. It's the human condition. It's just like, go to sleep and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But she gave me the half an hour to be in that state and then, let me, and then lift me from it. So that's what I want to say in that way. It's like she had a way of holding me in my greatness in those moments and like nonetheless, right, not judging me for it allowing me to be in it when I needed to be in it. And then it's like, okay, enough. Like, move on. I gave you half an hour. Okay. So, when we align ourselves in such a way, then we connect ourselves to God's divine image. Tselem v'dmut. Tzurat, tselem v'dmut. Form, image. She'ilu yidume begufo v'lo bepeulot Okay. Which says the following. That if we would be in God's likeness in our physicality, okay, created in God's image. Okay, now you clearly hear the mystic here. You hear Shi'ul Koma, one of our earliest Kabbalistic books trying to align if God was, if this Dmut is actually a physical manifestation and God had hands and eyes and legs and so on, what would their size be? That's what Shi'ul Koma does, a complete stature. Shi'ul Koma tries to imagine what the size is and again, it negotiates a size that we can't even imagine or fathom in the human mind, which is a great way of doing it. But he says, if we're only in God's physical image, but we didn't manifest it in our actions, that would be shortcoming, I want to say, right, disappointing, but also kazav means a lie, right, so if it was only in our form and action, uh, form, but not in our action, then we would be living, I want to say, a lie. The Rambam has this phrase that many of you know that I love so much, right? He, the Rambam says that a person 
who doesn't actualize their intellectual capacity is called three words behema betavnik adam an animal in the image of a human being i have to say some of you know how much how much salad i have every day for lunch and i have to tell you there are days i'm sitting in front of that bowl of lettuce and spinach and like I'm like, okay, dear Rambam, like, this is it. Like, this is, I'm just chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing, you know, those sprouts and the lettuce and the spinach. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh, here's the Rambam's Bay Mama Tavnita. Totally feel. I'm like, I'm just grazing there. And in 10 minutes or so, you'll be in class and I'll be grazing. But that's what Moshe Koloville here is saying, right? If we only walk around in God's physical image, and not in the divine image, and if it doesn't manifest in our actions, then we're not who we are, really. Then we're imposters. We're divine imposters. Now, I want you to see that actually what's being demanded of us to be in God's image is acting, is manifesting in the world. Not being holy, holy, holy. But actually getting out there and doing things. He says, because if not, what are they going to say about us? You look really beautiful, but really your actions are ugly. Ugly. So you can look beautiful to the world, but really you're not. But really we're not. And it's not, it's not easy to be, I want to say, right? It's also not pretty to be physically um, not appealing to the eye and then in our actions. Like if you're going to ask me if you, if you have a choice between the two, I think you know what the, what the option is, right? But I think there's also here a claim to, right, what would it be to actually be that's going to be the work. Right? And we're not talking about physical beauty. I hope that's clear. Right? We're talking about, hmm, I want to be that person. I, wanna, I want whatever they had. Right? And, and I also want to say, talking about really, it's like, um, it's like a hachmatzat sha'a. It's like, it's just like blowing the moment. Right? Meaning to say, you're in the presence of We've been given this one lifetime. If you don't believe in reincarnation, you definitely only think that this is it. Then you definitely only think this is it, right? And even if you do, this is this constellation will appear only once, right? This constellation of this soul in this body is going to manifest once. And if you believe in reincarnation and past lives, then you know that you've been here before and you've been in a very different body, and that's really, um, in many ways, has informed your experience. Whether you're a male or a female, whether you're Jewish or not, or whether you lived in one place in the world or another, whatever historic time that you lived in, it totally, it totally forms and shapes the way your soul experienced reality. So no matter what you believe, this manifestation is once. So then, it's really the question is, how are we going to manifest in the world? How are we going to actualize ourselves in the totality of who we are? 
Right, I actually read this, it was a, it was a beautiful line. Um, Stephen Levine, who does a lot of work of, in, in the realm of uh, death and dying, and he wrote something to the extent of um, people are, uh, people can tell you everything about their past lives and have no clue how to live this one. What a brilliant statement, <laughs> right? They can tell you everything about their past lives and have no clue how to live this one. So what Moshe Kudovel is offering us and is asking of us is to live our lives. God's manifestation is actually the manifestation in the world. Right? That's how we see the divine image. <coughs> And what good is it? What benefit can one derive from actually being given all the gifts, all the possibilities, and not actualizing them? Right, and I come back to this again and again and again this year, really, a lot about the difference between life and living. That's the deal. Right? Living or life? That's our choice. Living is breathing. Right? Living, obligation. Life, celebration. And I think... Uh, for Moshe Cordovero, I think this is exactly where we're gonna where we're, we're gonna end today, right? Entering into Rosh Hashanah, into Yom Kippur, God will sign us in the Book of Living, but it's in our hands to sign ourselves in the Book of Life. We've been given the gifts, and definitely those of us sitting around the table, and those of us who are learning with us wherever they are. By, by virtue of choosing this time on a Monday in the middle of the day to pause and to sit and to learn together and to think about how we're going to connect ourselves to that higher image of ourselves. So I believe that we have a sense of what that looks like. We have a sense of what that looks like. What it, right, because this for me is a moment of life. There is no way in the world, no way in the world, for me to look back at this moment, at any stage in my life, and not to see this as a moment of life. Impossible. Impossible. No matter where I will be, no matter what I will do, no matter who I will be with, it is impossible in my mind to say that when you look back on this Monday, the last Monday of Tafshi Nine Bit, between 12.30 and 1.10, there's no possibility, no reality in this incarnation that I can look at this moment and not see it as 40 minutes of life. That's the deal. And that, for the Moshe Kordovero, means what it means to walk in Selim Elohim, to be in God's image, and to walk, to manifest in life. 
I want to thank you for um, blessing me with knowing that I can look back at 40 minutes in my life <laughs> and say this is life. And God willing, throughout the semester and the year, we'll have many moments of life to share. And um, I really want to bless us to see each other. Even when we have days of living, that we can share with each other a moment of life. Really, as I said, God willing, God will sign us in the Book of Living, and God willing, we'll have the courage and the ability and the strength and the conviction and the faith and trust to sign ourselves in the Book of Life. And also, you know, we can sign other people in the Book of Life, too. Right? That's a gift we can give each other, too. That's I always say that every year. People, when they talk about the Chagim coming early or late, like sometimes I don't have the strength to, to sign myself in the book of life for whatever's going on. That means they're early or late. Mm -hmm. But someone else, like, what a gift. Like, you come, you look three months later, and you say, oh, my God, I didn't sign myself in the book of life. And then you go, and you see, oh, your name is in there because someone signed you in the book of life. So Reb Shlomo would always say about the book of living, and I want to say this, extend this to the book of life, don't be stingy on your ink. Don't think, oh, my God, I have so much ink and no more in the world. Like, when you sign yourself in the book of life, just sign everyone else that you know needs to be there. So, um, God willing, we'll have that for each other as well. And we can remind each other of the book of life as we go through the book of living. Only good, you guys. This podcast is supported in part by a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Joey Weisenberg and the Hadar Ensemble. Learn more at risingsong.org. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.